Uh, I was thinking about something Paul just said a second ago. This is a, this is a hard teaching, and I want you to know that uh, in my preparation this week, in fact, just since I talked to Paul the other day when I was thinking about this, I, I trimmed off some of the extra things that I was going to have in here. Um, and it's interesting because well, it's kind of like when you have toddlers, one of the things that you start doing is setting up your house to be baby-friendly. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's actually where I go. Like, let's cushion No, not, not me. I lowered the oven so that they had plenty of access to it, and they... Didn't cover up any of the plugs so I could make it. No, I'm just joking. I didn't do any of those things. Um, but there is a tendency. In fact, I think there's a tendency sometimes when we, some of the harder truths of what Christ teaches, there's a tendency, I think, we have sometimes of trying to soften the impact. Do you know what I mean? Like if we're going to say something that's really hard, there, especially something that goes very much against maybe our common current culture, there's a tendency to try to put styrofoam edges on everything so that when we deliver it, it doesn't hit as hard. And I found myself doing that this week with this. And so uh, yesterday, I, I got rid of all the styrofoam, okay? So um, I'm just going to let it because I noticed that the way Jesus delivers this, he doesn't deliver it with any soft edges, okay? Um, with that said... Which I don't have my clicker. Where's the clicker at? Is it up here? I just now realized I knew I was missing something. I'm like, there's usually something in my hands right now. Does anybody know where it's at? Is it up here? Oh, it's right in front of me. (laughs) There we go. All right. Whoa. What happened to my text? It did not look like this when I put it in there. It's okay. It was not all in caps. I, gosh, this kind of backs up what I was saying. I did not copy it in there like that. That's very fitting. I just said I wasn't going to soften it. Now I put everything in caps. I'm yelling at everybody. Wow. Um, I don't know why it's like that. Um, Luke chapter 12, let me review very quickly the first uh, five verses of chapter 12. Actually, let me pray before I start. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for this day, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lord, I would ask that you would guide and direct as we look at Luke chapter 12 this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just um, uh, be with me as I deliver these words that you taught 2,000 years ago. I pray that uh, we would not stray from the teaching that you were presenting to those people, those disciples at the time. I pray now in Christ's name. Amen. So the first five verses. In the meantime, it said, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The beliefs, the lives of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. They're actors, right? They're a bunch of actors. The problems with hypocrisy are many, But Jesus addresses two issues we talked about last week with hypocrisy. Number one, the hypocritical life is short-sighted. And that's what Jesus talks about in the next two verses. Verse two, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known, right? And so any act that is an act will be revealed, 
even down to the words that you have spoken, which is what it says next. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Even if everyone else is fooled, God is not fooled. So the hypocritical life is short-sighted. It's not seeing that long distance, the long game. But it is also the hypocritical life, number two, we talked about last week, the hypocritical life is a life of misplaced fear. There is a fear of man that is at work in the hypocritical life. There's a fear of man when there ought to be a fear of God. Listen to verses four and five. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. Don't fear people, okay? The extent of their authority, power, or ability ends when your life ends, right? But there is someone, not something, someone who has greater authority. And Jesus tells us this in the next verse. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, he says, fear him. He still has the authority to kill you, right? But his authority extends beyond the grave. There is a place called hell, a place that Jesus will speak on more than, on, more than any other biblical figure. Jesus will talk about hell. One can't, absolutely cannot teach on the teachings of Jesus without talking about hell. If there's anybody that's saying that they're teaching the teachings of Jesus and they don't address this topic, they're not teaching the teachings of Jesus because Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else did. Fear God. This is where I stopped last week, and this is where we begin this week. So the last verse from last week serves as the foundation for this this week's message. The main point here is that we are to fear God. This is not a new thought, a primary one that must be dealt with when learning anything. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right at the very beginning, frankly, the beginning of understanding anything in this life, this is the fear of the Lord. This is an essential thing. King Solomon, who wrote this, also wrote as the preacher in Ecclesiastes at the very end. I remember the first time I ever read through Ecclesiastes, I thought to myself, What? And then I got to the very end, and I read this, and I went, oh, okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14 says, The end of the matter all has been heard. And he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In fact, you see a little bit of what Jesus is saying, right, in our teachings, echoed back all the way back to King Solomon's teachings. Fear God. Why? Because every secret thing will become known. In many ways, this fear of the Lord is at the heart, the very heart of all that we believe. Consider in Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses telling the children of Israel, he says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. In fact, I think this is a, a quite often lost element of what we ought to be teaching as Christians, because even at the very end, as they were getting ready to go into the land, it was reminded to them, again, it says, assemble the people, the men, the women, and the little ones, this is why I threw this quote up there as well, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear 
and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. This, I think, is right at the heart of so much of what we teach. In fact, I would suggest this. You do not understand the gospel message if you understand it apart from the fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? The, 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 the greatness of the gospel message, the greatness of that is bound up in this understanding of that there is a fear of the Lord. There is a God who will bring every deed into judgment, Right? What hope do we have? Because every single one of us, especially when we hear this every secret thing, every single one of us ought to have a little bit of like, ooh, right? To think about everything you've ever done brought into judgment. And we all know in some way, shape, or form that we will stand on the downside of that judgment if it wasn't for Jesus, right? So understanding the good news, what makes the gospel good news is not deliverance from satan it's deliverance from the very judgment of god that is so so essential to understanding what these things are about now take a little shift okay so this is that's the foundation of what jesus is talking about in this teaching he's going to take a little bit of shift he's going to shift gears for just a second i'm going to talk about that in just a minute there's kind of this counterbalance he has he throws in some he throws in something nice in there right this has been kind of scary he throws in something nice in there and he gets right back to it Okay, so we're going to talk about that in just a second, but I think it's important to understand. I'm just going to be just completely frank and honest with you, right? Remember I said I'm taking all the styrofoam off. It's very important to understand that not all who say they are members of Christ are actually members of Christ. Okay, the visible church is not exactly the church, God's people. The people who stand in front of us and come to church and worship with us there's a reality, a very scary reality, that not all who say they are, are. Does that make sense? A couple passages to talk about in context with that. 1 John 2.19 is one of them. Uh, John writes in 1 John, he says, They went out from us, but they were not all, but they were not of us. Right? Some of those, sometimes those things happen while we're here, and some go, nope, we're out. And John clearly lays out what this means right? They went out from us. Ultimately, why? Because they were not of us. They had been of us. They would have continued with us, right? Continued within the scope of faith as Christians. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. I think this is hugely important. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think this, of all the things that I talk about, I think this is becoming more and more important each and every week goes by in the world that we live in to acknowledge the fact that not all who say they are of are of, okay? Sometimes those things don't come about right away. Paul writes to a young pastor, Timothy, he puts this, he says, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. There's a truth that sometimes those things become inconspicuous. And I think I'm going to mention one more in, in context with this because the, the reality is the ones where they don't even see it themselves. And so a passage I've shared many times in this church is Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus himself teaches. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many... I don't like the word. I don't like the fact that Jesus threw that word in there. Many. On that day, many, that judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't think this has ever been more relevant in our own country as it is these days. This truth I'm about to read and the warnings that Jesus lays out. You are not born into Christianity. Oh gosh, I wish that's how it worked. Especially when you have kids, right? You want that more than anything else. There's nothing that I long for more than watching my own physical children come to know the truth and to walk in that. But unfortunately, that is not how it works. In fact, that's never how it worked. If you read through Romans chapter 9, which I'm not, I don't have slides for, but if you read through Romans chapter 9, that's actually one of the things that Paul talks about. And I think there's going to be some of this is going to filter over into what our Paul talks about next week from Joshua. Romans chapter 9 is interesting because it talks about the fact that there's Paul the apostle had this love of those Israelites, those people who were Jews by genetics. And he makes this comment, he says, basically to say, this is not how, that's not how it works. Unfortunately, not all, in fact, he makes a statement, not all who are Israel are Israel. That's not how it works. That's not how it's ever worked. In fact, there were genetic descendants of Abraham who were not included in the promise. Only the son of promise was. In fact, the really marvelous one is the very next one that he talks about. Think about this. Isaac had two sons. They were twins. They were born at the same time from the same mom, and only one was chosen to carry on that promise. That's an interesting element, but that's for another day. I'm going to get ahead of myself and maybe even venture into what Paul's going to talk about next week, so I don't want to do that. But it isn't genetics that brings you into the kingdom, and it isn't just because we could say, I think to some degree that this was a Christian nation, that doesn't automatically make you a Christian. And so I have to be honest, some of the warnings I have for you today are kind of geared towards the younger group in this room this morning. These are warnings that Jesus has. There are many in our nation that claim Christianity, but not all who say so are. There are many that claim Christianity now, some of them, their sins travel out ahead of them, and it's all obvious to all of us. No, they say they are. They're not. But I think some, those things travel behind them, as Paul said to Timothy. Now, are you ready for the two warnings that Jesus has? You guys ready? Are you sure? I don't think you are. I think we need a counterbalance. You guys know what a counterbalance is? Yeah? Some of you like know what a counterbalance is? Um, for those of you that don't, so have you ever seen those cranes up on the high-rises that are lifting up the, right? So on the back end is what we can call a counterbalance. In fact, it says in this example I found, concrete weights to balance the load. In fact, if I, got, if I got a picture here, they actually will put giant blocks of concrete on the other side, which makes sense because if they were to pick up something super heavy on the other end, if there wasn't something heavy on this end, the stresses of that would destroy the crane, which 
led me down a weird rabbit trail of looking at crane fails. <laughs> when I was looking for this, I was like, I found some crane fails. I'm like, oh my goodness, what cranes that like people trying to pick things up and they didn't picking up more than what the counterbalance can handle and they're crashing. I thought about it, putting some, I'm like, no, that's wasting time. But it, there's a reality that what we're getting ready to say needs a little bit of a counterbalance, a little bit of a something on the other end. And that's exactly what I think Jesus does. So Jesus is saying these really hard things about fearing the Lord. He throws in these two little statements in between, and then he comes back with these really hard warnings. And so these next two verses, I think, are a counterbalance to the warnings. So let's look at the counterbalance before we dig into the warnings. I know you guys said you're ready for the warnings, but I don't think you are. Jesus has a, a counterbalance for you. So there's some very heavy things on the other end of this that Jesus is going to mention first. Listen to the verses 6 and 7, and I want you to just soak in this truth before we get to the warnings. Jesus says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Sparrows were quite often, I was looking this up, sparrows were quite often used as food for the poorest of the poor at this particular time period, which I'm thinking, yeah, because in my mind, I'm picturing like your typical like chicken that's been cooked with like the rotisserie chicken, but then I was picturing it as a sparrow. Like how small would that be, right? I mean, that couldn't be worth a whole lot. Like you're not getting a whole lot of a meal out of a sparrow leg, right? I mean, you're, this is a small little thing, insignificant. I'm going to be honest, as a meal for me, completely insignificant. I am not going to have a sparrow leg and go, that was good. Okay, I'm, I'm shooting more for turkey leg, okay? Or ostrich leg, I don't know if they sell those. Um, but such a small thing, and Jesus says this. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two Are not and not one of them, this is God, is what he's saying. The God that we're about ready to deliver some warnings about, don't forget, not a bird drops to the ground. In the other gospels, when they write about this, some of them don't just talk about it in this light. They talk about it, there's not one that even falls to the ground, and this God does not know it. If you ever feel... In your life, what do we hit? Eight billion this week? I heard something on the news, like how many the population of the earth. I remember when it hit seven billion, and now we're like we're at eight billion, and I'm like, oh my word, eight billion people. If there's eight billion people alive right now, right? Not throughout history. Do you ever think about that number and feel kind of insignificant? But you don't have to. Now I know that for us in America, none of us feels very insignificant because we're all focused in on ourselves. But the reality is, there's a lot of people. But there's not a one of you that is insignificant before God. In fact, it goes on to say this next, verse 7. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I know for some of you, this is an ever-changing number, ever-decreasing number for some of us. I try to compensate for that by getting as much, much hairs on my head from the other side of my head as I can, right? But think about that. God knows the number of hairs on your head. All the bald guys are going, uh didn't take long to count that up, did it? Um, but think about that. And Jesus says, fear not, which is such a weird offset to everything he's saying. He's saying, fear him, fear him, fear him, three times in that previous verse. And then he turns around and goes, don't be afraid. This is the God. So when we're talking about these things, this fear of God, don't let it be offset too much by forgetting 
what a great, loving, merciful God we serve, right? So this is a God that not a bird falls to the ground and he does not take notice. So keep that in mind when you hear these next two warnings. Because I'm going to tell you, these next two warnings, one of them has thrown Christians from all ages into many a downward spiral of fear. And I think the balance is found right here. This God is not a God who will offhandedly make a comment like this. This is a God who knows you and cares down to the very numbers of hair hairs on your head, okay? All right, so there's the counterbalance. Now let's go into the warnings. The first one, verse eight, verses eight and nine. Jesus teaches, and he says this next, to his disciples, do not forget. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges, and I put in there, I added in there, confesses, because the word that is translated acknowledge is the Greek word, it's, it's homo logia. Homo meaning same, logia meaning word. It's a word that means to say the same thing as. And so some versions will translate it confess. This one, the ESV translates it as acknowledge. But it's talking about saying the same, being in agreement with is what it's quite often used to refer to. I tell you, whenever one who acknowledges or confesses me, Jesus speaking before men, the Son of Man used now to refer to Jesus on that day, the Son of Man will also acknowledge or confess before the angels of God. Some of the other versions have it, where, or not other versions, but other, the other gospel accounts, sometimes when Jesus teaches this, he doesn't say before the angels of God, he says before our, my Father in heaven. So there's a place and a time where there's gonna be the angels of God and the very Father himself where we're gonna be in need of Jesus to say, mine. And Jesus says here in this warning, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges or confesses me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. There's a judgment day coming. And I have to say, of all the times that you do not want Jesus to deny you, it would be on that day. Can you not agree with that? There's a day coming where I want Jesus to say, mine, paid for. And Jesus tells us in this warning, he doesn't say, he doesn't say what we all wish he would have said, that would have had nice, soft, styrofoam corners. The one that says, I believe in him. That's not what he says this time, is it? Do you see anything in there about faith directly? No. Did he mess up? Did Jesus mess up in this teaching? No. So our first warning is this. Warning number one, confess Jesus. Don't deny Jesus. Earlier I said, a moment ago, I said, make sure, or I said, I'm, I'm, I know I'm gearing a lot of this towards people who are younger. I, I think... There will be times, now there's been most of our lives we, to confess and agree with Christ on everything has not been that challenging. The repercussions have not been that staggering. But I think we've entered into a time now where to always stand with Jesus, the repercussions are getting a little bit bigger. 
Now, I haven't been forced into any situations where somebody said, if you confess Jesus in this situation, we're going to kill you. But I have been in situations, and I think many of you have as well, where if you knew, you knew that if you stood with Jesus, maybe not on saying his name, but agreeing with his teachings, you knew that to do that, they may not kill you, but they're going to, what is the word, ostracize you? You're going to fall out of favor? I mean, you may have been pretty cool up to this point. <laughs> what are you laughing at? It's pretty cool. No? I'm really not cool. Yeah. But, but, right? Yeah. And it's no longer hip to be square. So, But here we are. We're in, a, we're in a moment of history in our country where to stand firmly on the teachings of Jesus, vocally, verbally, acknowledge, confess him, might result in people looking down on you. Which doesn't sound too bad. But it, it throws a lot of people for a loop. I think especially teenagers really struggle with this. To be put on the outs because you stood firm for what Jesus teaches. How many, I wonder, say they are followers of Jesus but will not stand firm on his teachings, will not hold to his word, will not stand with his Bible. Remember, this word is all about him, is it not? Are you willing to stand up with all the things that are in there? What about the things that it says about marriage or sexuality or homosexuality? What about the fact that he claims he is the only way to the Father? Are you willing to stand with Jesus on those things? That becomes the challenge, does it not? There is no other way given among men whereby we must be saved other than the very name of Jesus. Are you willing to stand with him on that truth? I don't think this is a one-time-and-done one sort of warning because I know that some of you may even be sitting here going, I have not stood firm, 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 but there's been a couple times where I could have spoken up or I could have been vocal or I could have made it clear that I stood with Jesus on things and I didn't. Think of Peter, the apostle. How many times did he deny even knowing Christ? Three. Three times. You know, it's an interesting study to really play out the difference between Peter on the one hand and Judas on the other. In the, in the King James Version of the Bible, it talks about Judas, and it actually uses the word repent. It's not the same word, but there's a place in the gospel accounts where it talks about Judas repenting of all that he had done. But it's, not the, it's, a, it's a different word. It doesn't mean cha changed his mind. It just meant he felt really, really bad. And what does he do after it says he repented of all he'd done? He felt really bad about all he had done, and he goes out and did what? What did he do? He hung himself. Peter, on the other hand, you see humbly coming back to Christ, not feeling worthy to be accepted back. But I think the real display of what was different between Peter and Judas is the fact that within days of that denial, you see Peter standing up before the whole assembly of people in Jerusalem proclaiming Christ, right? Voicing that. So I don't think this is a one time and done. If you've denied him, oh, you're out. In fact, the very next verse is going to kind of back that up, that there can be forgiveness for denying. So maybe you have not stood with Christ Maybe there's been times where you knew you could have and you didn't. 
There's been times where you, I knew I should have been more vocal. I should have stood up or I should have been, been more honest about this is where it's at. Or I, I, I kind of waffled on some things. There's forgiveness. And I think you ought to adopt Peter's attitude of like, as, as much as I was willing to deny, I'm going to be willing to confess him before everybody. But this next verse, this next warning is something that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gamble that there's some of you in this room have never even heard. Okay? Verse 10. Jesus says then, Jesus speaking, without any styrofoam edges, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, I'm curious as to how many of you are somewhat familiar. Who in this room is familiar with this verse? Anybody in here familiar with it? Yeah? If you've struggled with this, if this has caused you great distress, two things. One, I'd like to offer up myself for conversation about this. This is where I would be so, so ready, and I'm so ready, even right now talking about it. I'm so ready. To, I want to I put on the styrofoam corners. I want to soften this up. I want to spray some, that yellow, you know that spray that you can spray, that yellow, and then it foams up, and it, I just want to spray this whole verse with that so it's surrounded by something soft and squishy. I'm not going to. The other thing is I would say if you've been in distress over this, you're not alone. Some of the greatest minds of Christian history struggle with this. I'm going to give you two examples. One of them is Martin Luther. You guys ever heard of Martin Luther? He struggled not just with this, but just with sin in general. How in the world can I have forgiveness? In fact, I would say that his struggle with things like this is what drove him to understand the gospel. We all owe a debt to his fears because of how it opened up the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world that there is salvation and faith alone through Christ. He is our righteousness. In fact, that's the phrase. The other example I have for you, you guys ever heard of Pilgrim's Progress? John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. If you don't know anything about John Bunyan, don't just read Pilgrim's Progress. Read another book called Grace Abounding. And you'll read it and you will go, this guy was nuts. I mean, struggled struggle. In fact, this is one of the particular things he struggled with, thinking, I've, I've committed the unpardonable sin. There's a sin that cannot be forgiven. I'm sure I've done it. In fact, some of you in this room right now, if you've struggled, that's where it's been. You're like, I'm sure I did it. I probably, I do all the wrong things anyway. So I probably did this one too. I'm, what am I going to do? I don't want to soften this and say you're misunderstanding it. No. What does Jesus say? You speak against the Son of Man, you'll be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's there. Let me read in Matthew and Mark the other two times. All, three of the gospel accounts record this teaching of Jesus, um, which, which is saying something. <laughs> not every one of the things that Jesus taught is recorded in, all three, in th the, those three synoptic gospels. This is one of those things. Matthew chapter 12. By the way, before I read these next two, anybody in here, don't, don't be shy. Anybody in here going, I wish that wasn't in there. 
I got a few of you going, I really wish that wasn't in there. What's that? Yes, yeah, or more explained, more detail given. What are you talking about, Jesus? What does this mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Let's let's hear what else he said. This, This is recorded by Matthew. Whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Anybody in here wishing I put the styrofoam corners back on? Or just left it out there. Why is this in there? Can, can you see why this can cause people distress? Can you see why I wanted to soften it? I have a tendency to do that because I don't want anybody to feel afraid or scared. I, I hate that. I don't like that at all. But I was struck with the reality that Jesus didn't try to do that when he presented that, this to his disciples. This is how he delivered it. And how he delivered it, I wanted to deliver it to you. It's a warning to people who said they were following him. There's another case of this. Matthew's, the, the case that's shared with us in Matthew follows a story that Luke has already shared, but Luke shared it a, a, a chapter ago. Okay? It, it's alluded to in Mark chapter 3. Let me go to the Mark version of this. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And then he gives us a clue as to what this was related to. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, anybody remember in Luke when Jesus had cast out a demon and the Pharisee says, here's how he's doing this. Do you remember that? Who, who did the Pharisees say? Who did the Pharisees say he was doing it by the power of? Beelzebub. Yes. Satan. Beelzebub. That Jesus was working. Now, I want you to understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a brief summary, but then I'm going to get back to this warning. I, my favorite explanation of this I found was from John MacArthur. He just got right to the point. You've got to understand that these Pharisees, these Pharisees that were encountering Jesus at this time, I mean, they were coming up with a, a solution to Jesus. Jesus was doing some stuff, wasn't he? He was shaking everything up. And there were some things that they could not account for as just a hoax. And so the Pharisees had to come up with an explanation that would not cause people to walk away from them. And so they came up with their official statement. They thought it through. Their official statement was, this isn't God, this is Satan. They had to have a supernatural explanation for what Jesus was doing because any natural one came up short. And so they knew they had to come up with something supernatural. And so the only other supernatural thing they had to go with was Satan. And so they came down with an official explanation from Jerusalem. Here we go. Our explanation, this is how he's doing this. Think about that. Jesus connects this with ultimately with blaspheming against the spirit. Jesus was doing this power, he had already said, by the very spirit of God. I think, and I'm 
I don't have a problem saying that. Because Jesus does not offer up a specific explanation in any of these accounts as to what exactly he's talking about. Okay? I wish he did. He doesn't. The best thing I have to go on is hints from what was connected to it. And I think what it is, I think that what's the problem is this blasting of the Spirit is a wholehearted, ultimate rejection as the Spirit has been presented to somebody to say no. No. Uh-uh. Absolutely not. One who maybe knows it's the very spirit of God that they're fighting against. This is a little scary because there's people that I know that would fall into this category of how I'm describing this. They know it's the truth of God. They know know that. But they are doing everything they can to say no. They'll deny it, deny it, deny it, but in the depths of their minds, and they'll let it out every once while they know it's God they're fighting against. They know this, that it's the truth of God, and they choose to reject it. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's not up there? Oh, I did not get that one in there. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Those Pharisees wholeheartedly rejected. But let's go back to Jesus' teaching. This is a warning. His first warning was, don't deny me, Jesus, before people, and I won't deny you. The second warning, don't blaspheme the Spirit of God. Regardless of where you land on what this is exactly, it is still a warning that Jesus taught to people who claim to be his disciples. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Jesus is talking to people who said, yeah, we're following you. And in the midst of that, he says, don't do this. Usually, if I were talking about this, I would want so much to be packing on those soft corners to try to explain this and try to make it seem like it would be impossible for you to do this. But Jesus didn't do that with his disciples, and I'm not going to do that today. This ought to be delivered as a warning. I think that we're facing a time, we're facing a time in our country where these things are going to become more and more obvious and evident where we're either going to be with or against. Lines are being drawn, are they not? Where are you going to land? And there's some very serious warnings for people who say, yeah, we believe, we believe, believe, but then at the end they deny. Don't miss it. That is what this is about. That there's going to be a line drawn while you're here that will display and present where you land there, right? It doesn't mean that the things you do will save you. No, Jesus saves you, but his saving power 
points you in a direction and places you in a place where you will stand with him here. And I would rather, to be honest, I would rather you hear this and fret and be afraid than to never worry about it all and end up in hell. I would rather you hear this and you spend the next three years going, what if I did it? What if I'm so worried? This is scary. What if? I'd rather that than to have you never worry about this at all and end up in hell. Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? There's some of us in this room that know the truth and we know all that Christ has done. And when you are presented with that time in your future where you're either going to stand with or against, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? So instead of offering reassurances that you haven't done this, I would like to end up the way Jesus ended up, with the hope that Jesus offers his people through the working of the Spirit. Instead of denying him and blaspheming his Spirit, Jesus offers a little bit of hope at the end of this. Because as scary as this is, and as it ought to be, this warning, it's still pretty scary to think about standing up for him in this world. That's not unreasonable. And so Jesus offers this as his conclusion. And when they bring him before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, which those disciples literally had happen, and I can't help but wonder if maybe we will in some degree have the same thing happen in our lifetimes. I think it could. I, I, I used to think it could, you know, you go back five years ago, go back two years ago, I would have said, I think this could happen, but I didn't really but there's been some things that have happened in our country, in our world, that makes me go, I could see this happening. I could see it, us being brought before rulers, authorities, and being pressed upon to say, are you standing with Christ now? And I don't want you to worry. And that's what Jesus says. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. I don't think this doesn't. I don't think this means you shouldn't study and learn. Paul uh, or Peter talks about that a lot. He goes, "Be ready to give an answer and everything." But in the end, don't worry because Jesus says that same Spirit of God that you didn't deny but trusted in is going to be there with you to give you the words that you should say. So don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so I want you to go out of this building today, not just with the fear and just with the warning, but also with the hope that, okay, Lord, if I take a stand and stand for you, I'm not gonna make you look back because your spirit's gonna be right there with me to give me the very words to say when that time comes, right? God the Father, Oh, and I got cut off. I was afraid of that. God the Father, through the working of the Spirit, will enable you to stand for the Son. Let me say that again. God the Father, through the working of the Spirit, will enable you to take a stand for the Son.
So, no soft edges today. Warnings have been laid out. You ought to stand for Christ. When the opportunity comes, don't shy away from it, but stand for him. Don't be afraid of those that can kill the body. Don't be afraid of those that can say mean things, make you look bad. Don't be afraid of those that can ostracize you from the communities that we're parts of. Don't be afraid of those things. Fear, on the other hand, there's a God. Right? And he has authority not just to kill the body, but also to send to hell. That's the one whom we ought to fear. But in that fear, that fear of him, there's this great hope. Because Christ came, lived that perfectly righteous life. And the things you do now are not to earn righteousness. No. That righteousness was earned through Christ. The things you do now are simply works and acts of people who understand all that he's done. And in your gratitude for him, you're willing to stand anywhere and profess. Not because you deserve it, because when we stand up to profess, we're going to be going... I'm the worst representative. <laughs> I probably not the one that should be doing this. I know, that's going to happen. When it comes down to it, I know that most of us in this room are going to be going, God should have picked somebody else. There were some really great people from history that could have been doing this. No, we're, we're the ones. This is, we're it. We're it. We're the ones that have been chosen for this time of history to stand for Christ. Everybody in every great story always thinks that, I think. Somebody else should have been picked, but no, it's us. It's us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much again for your word. I just pray that you'd help us to heed these warnings. I pray that if nothing else, Lord, I know for myself, I pray that these warnings would be a sustaining thought in my head to not deny you when the time comes. Lord, I hope, I hope that I will stand firm for the rest of my life. I trust, Lord, that your spirit will be there to to guide the words that I say in response and in defense of you. Lord, I pray that all of us would fall into that same category as ones who are willing to stand for you regardless of the consequence here, because we know the sustaining work that you have for us there. Lord, I pray that you would bring us through this. I pray that you'd be with those here in this room today that might hear these things and it might cause distress. Lord, I pray that you'd allow them to wallow in that distress as long as they need to. But Lord, I pray that you'd bring them through that because your grace is enough. I pray these things now in Christ's name, amen.